Let me pray. Father in heaven, these are your words, the words of the Lord Jesus. We remember reading in chapter one that blessed is the one who reads these words aloud and those that hear them. Please would you bless us now. Please would you be with my words. Please help uh, me to be clear. Um, these are difficult things, not only in their, um, the way they're written, but in their subject matter. Please would we uh, honour them and honour you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, I wanted to begin, I am going to begin, hopefully, if this works, um, with, a, with a quote. Uh, you may or may not know who the comedian Eddie Izzard is. It doesn't particularly matter, but um, uh, Eddie Izzard had an interview some years ago in Canada. And uh, I, there's a bit of it here, and I just want to play it to you, and hopefully you'll be able to hear it. Thanks. Um, I've decided that God doesn't exist, so I just wanted to talk about that. Well, I don't know. A lot of people who are creative, they they come to a place where they're agnostic, but I just decided to get off that agnostic fence and go to the atheist fence. Right. Uh, Was there a moment? Was was it it something that was building inside you? Or did you sit back one day and go, why do we even pretend? No, no, it it wasn't quite building. It was more like there was just a moment where I thought, why am I pretending this? I should just say I'm an atheist. Because the reason reason I think people don't say they're atheists is in case God comes down and they say, but you said you're an atheist. You're not coming in. And I am prepared to, to... not go to what this special place. I just, I'm, I've applied logic, and I am quite logical. I've applied logic to the world and, I, and, I, and to the universe, and I, and I see a randomness out there, and I th- see stuff happening, but I don't see a plan behind it. And if there is a God there, but he has no plan, then I, well, forget it. You know, what's the point? So, when you... so Eddie Izzard makes two claims there. One I think is pretty weak, and one I think is stronger. The first claim was applying logic and looking out and seeing chaos and concluding that there's no God. I don't think that's particularly logical. There's no particular reason uh, why it should be logical, um, that that God should have the the same plans that we do or run the universe in the way that we would want. I don't think it's particularly logical that if there is a God, he he must be uh, a good one. Perhaps there is some logic in that. So maybe that's a weak claim. But then if you caught the very end of that, I thought was a very strong point that Eddie Izzard made in that quote. So he's looking at all this chaos and the world which is in turmoil and he says, well, do you know what? If there is a God and he has no plan, what's the point? I think that's quite a powerful argument. If, there is, if God is there and he's just not in control and he doesn't have a plan then that's disastrous, isn't it? What, what would the point be in, in God, in, in a sense? So is there a plan of history? I mentioned earlier that that, that plan, that the things that are happening in history are wrapped up in that scroll, and, and John is worried about who is worthy, who is in control of that scroll. It is one person in existence. It is the Lamb who was slain. We read in chapter 5, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth, wisdom and honour and strength. He is the one. He has that authority. Why the Lamb? Because he was the Lamb who was slain. So it's his death and resurrection and ascension, all of those three things, equally important, 
that give him that authority over this history. And that's quite key for us as well, because we're, we're thinking, when we're in Revelation, you're often thinking, when are we talking about? I've lost track of the, of, of the timeline uh, and, and what's happening. And uh, uh, when exactly are we? Well, here's the lamb who was slain and he has ascended into heaven. And, and that gives him this authority. The chaos is governed. It's not out of God's hand. We'll see it's part of God's wrath. The lamb who was slain. The victory of the cross warrants his authority. He is the man that God promised to be on the throne. Now, these um, seals that we'll look at, we'll see in a couple of weeks when we come back to this, that there's a similar pattern that gets repeated um, with seven trumpets. And there's a similar thing that got John uh, goes back down to. Now, I'll just draw a quick timeline, as it were. So, here's sort of the beginning, and here's the end, and we don't know what sort of time that is in between. And then, and then here, let's place that death, resurrection, and ascension of the Lord Jesus. And we'll see that the first four of these seals are dealing with now, this time. So really, this, this first chapter, this first chapter, the first point, if you, if you want to take notes, is the reality of the horror on earth. And, and we should cry out. And so what John does is he does um, this sort of pattern. So there's, there's, there's four seals which occupy this time here, not in chronological order, and they talk about what's happening now. Uh, then there's a, a fifth one which also does that with a slightly different angle. And then six begins the beginning of the end. The end is coming. It's really imminent there. But then John pauses. We'll come to this. Before the seventh one, he pauses. And the pause is to ask the question, yeah, but what about the church? So we'll look at history, and then John will have us pause, and we'll ask the question, what about the church? And then the next time we come back, we'll do exactly the same thing. We'll go through these trumpets when we come to them. And there'll be a pause before the seventh one, and we'll look at the question, what about the church? Where does that, where does that fit in? So chapter 6, I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held the bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror, bent on conquest. Now, we see this language in there, that, um, uh, which, which is given. Did you see that in verse 2? Um, he, he was given a crown. And that's there, really, I think, to show us that, that God is in control. And as we look at this sort of judgment which is unleashed, it represents um, something that God has permitted, but not authored. So we often see that in the Bible. So God might permit the Assyrians to attack. He is not the author of evil in that sense. But there's a sort of permission. Or you might think of Romans chapter one, where uh, we're told that, that God's wrath is revealed and that he gives people over um, in that sense, a judgment. So it's not the kind of one-on-one judgment of each person receiving what they deserve. That, of course, is to come, isn't it, when the books are opened. 
So, that, so that's what we're, 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 we're talking here. These um, horses are given some sort of authority. And it's because a, a new age has dawned. This is what we're talking about. Um, the, the, the risen Jesus is there. And then this happens. So that, that's why we're looking at it like that. So let's have a look at them. So I looked at the white horse. He was given a bow. He was given a crown. And he's a conqueror. It's conquest. It's this image of the regimes that all through history, since the ascension of the Lord Jesus and before, will come up and they'll rise again. There'll be a Rome. There'll be a, 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 a next one and a next one. And, and we see it, don't we? Tyrannical conquest. Regimes, we might think of North Korea. Some people might think of the Chinese Communist Party. Or particularly, we're all thinking probably now, Putin, aren't we? The conquest. Conquering lands and countries. That is what this rider represents. Now, there also, did you notice he was dressed in white and he's on a horse? Now, there, there may be a little bit of a hint here of the sort of antichrist figure. Someone who's against Jesus. Someone who wants to be the king and the ruler, but is against Jesus. We'll come back to that a little later. Seal number two, verse three. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the living creatures say, come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. So there is death and a lack of peace on the earth, taking peace away. Seal number three, verse five. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come. I looked and before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what sounded like a voice from four living creatures saying, a kilogram of wheat for a day's wages and three kilograms of barley for a day's wages. Do not damage the oil and wine. It's a, kind of, it's a picture of, of poverty and an economic injustice. Kilogram of wheat for a day's wages. That's a lot, isn't it? Reminded me uh, of a headline I think I saw only earlier in the week. Food inflation at 16.17%. That <laughs> we're having to sort of pay. And, and that's just here in our country, doing very well comparatively to the rest of the world. Struggling to find food. And people talk about overpopulation and there's too many of us. There's plenty of food to go around. It doesn't get to those that need it. It's an image, isn't it, of, of, of what we're seeing at the moment. And, and we often get this in, in apocalyptic literature, which is what we're in, in John. And, and I found a helpful way of thinking about the apocalyptic kind of imagery, using all these horses. And um, we're used to thinking it, of it all being about the end, aren't we, and, and, and everything coming. But, but actually, it, it's, a, it's a revealing. What, what's really going on? Uh, and we get a look behind the heavenly curtain, as it were. And, and I found it helpful to think of apocalyptic literature as revealing ordinary things in extraordinary ways. Now, I use ordinary in sort of quote marks. We look around and we see death and injustice and regimes conquering. And, it, and it's sort of, it's ordinary as in that's the world we live in. Sort of that's the, the ordinariness, if you like. But we see it in apocalyptic literature in extraordinary ways. So God's saying, think of it like this. This is a kind of picture language 
of what we're seeing. And, and we see that later on in Revelation, don't we, with, with monsters and dragons. And it, it's made to, to, to grab our hearts and go, ah, oh, this, is, this is even more horrific than I, than I thought. This is, this is, we think that we look at the world and we think that some things appear monstrous. And God says, yeah, exactly. That's probably very accurate to conclude that things are, are monstrous. Seal number four in verse seven. The lamb opened the fourth seal. I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come. And I looked and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a quarter of the earth to kill by sword, famine and plague and the wild beasts of the earth. So another hint there, isn't there, in in a quarter that it's restricted. This isn't the the decimation of the whole earth. This, this is just a picture language. A large number, but, but not everyone. Not the, not the majority, it's a quarter. So, so there is control. But, but it is horrific, isn't it? That this imagery of, of what life is like in these final days before um, Jesus comes again. So we get those four pictures and they're, they're not sort of sequential. They're not to do with any particular time in history or they don't map on to particular figures. They're a sort of patchwork um, picture, a collage, if you like, of, of, of what is going on in this time period that we're thinking of. But we come to seal number five in verse nine. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, Sovereign Lord, uh, how long, O Sovereign Lord, Holy and true until ju- you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. Then each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. So while all this is going on, Christians are, are being killed for their witness, for their faith. And we're told that up in heaven in the altar, the souls are, are crying out. And they're told to, to wait until God's final judgment comes. So another clue as to the, the time period that we're talking about. It might be worth spending just a couple of moments unpicking that, because this is quite weird, isn't it, if we haven't read it before. But it's picture language. Did you see that, that it's the souls of those? So that is the most unnatural state of a human person, is to be without your body. Well, that's the most unnatural state. And yet when, when believers, it seems that the Bible tells us that when believers um, die, their body dies. But of course, their souls belong to Jesus and he keeps them safe until that resurrection when they'll be reunited with their new body. But in the meantime, they seem to be crying out. But of course, did you uh, notice as well, they're given a, a white robe. So souls that are given a robe, it's clearly a picture language, isn't it? It's clearly not literal. They're not souls with robes, I don't think. And so um, we can see as well, I think, that perhaps the crying out is also the very presence of their souls crying out. I'm not sure we're necessarily to imagine a, a, a literal um, a multitude of souls upset in heaven, as it were, in the, in the presence and the peace of the Lord Jesus. But But perhaps it is their very presence, their souls cry out. Do you remember Abel's blood cries out? 
to the very presence of, of souls who have been martyred for Christ with the Lord Jesus, cries out for him for that justice. How long? How long, O Lord? Finally, we get to the sixth seal in verse 12. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of a goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red and stars in the sky fell to earth as figs dropped from a fig tree. So here's that, that imagery um, that says that this is the real end now is on its way. And it, it, it's, almost, it's almost there. Now, maybe some of that um, imagery kind of sets off uh, bells in your mind, uh, and it should do. Because I think what John is doing is he's referencing Matthew 24. Do you remember the Lord Jesus talking about these times when it, it felt like the whole of the, the, the universe was collapsing? But if we go back and, and read that, and we, um, I'll, I'll read a bit out. Um, you, you can follow if you want to. We can see also that, that looking back, it appears that the, that the, the seals that we've just looked at perhaps go over just the teaching of, of Jesus. So I'll read it out. And, and notice how it kind of maps on. So uh, Jesus says, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. So perhaps that's that reference, the white, the white writer, perhaps the conqueror, uh, a kind of person who is anti-Christ. Verse 6 of Matthew 24, You will hear wars and rumours of wars. But see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, we've seen that, haven't we? And earthquakes. These are the beginnings of birth pains. So that sounds very much like the first, the four horsemen, doesn't it? Verse 9 Then you will be handed over and persecuted to death. Well, that sounds very much like the seal number five, doesn't it? The martyrs. Uh, and then Jesus uh, goes on to talk about um, the, the, the very end times. Later on in the chapter, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky. So it seems here that John is, is giving us a sort of heavenly perspective on what Jesus taught back there in Matthew. And I find this very helpful, this kind of picture language. It, it can feel quite heavy, but... But we, maybe we might get numb to these things that they're ordinary. And there's wars and rumours of wars and another regime and a, a, another famine. We have that sort of compassion fatigue. It's our everyday reality. Perhaps we could get numb to it. Or, or perhaps we look and think, well, do, yeah, but does God know about it? God says, yes, God knows. He knows about it. This is his view on it. He's in control of it. He, he's aware of how terrible it can be. He's aware of that injustice. And, and, and so should we. We should feel uh, and have this really kind of hit home. And I think we're to take up that cry of the martyrs, aren't we? How long? How long, O oh Lord? I was looking up some <clears throat> statistics. Open Doors um, tells me this weekend. One in seven Christians in the world are persecuted. One in seven. 
at the recent um, watch list launch uh, that they had, I've got a, a, a report of it here, and um, uh, Timothy Cho, I think says uh, not his real name, that spoke about what life is like for Christians in North Korea, which returns to the number one on the world watch list 2023 after dropping down a uh, place last year to number two. He says, the North Korean regime aims to wipe out every Christian in the country, he said. Christianity itself is seen as a national security risk and every new piece of legislation targets Christians as the first to be eliminated. Or how about this report? Um, the many hundreds of, of Christians in the uh, Chhattisgarh state um, in India, uh, 2023, has already been a very difficult year. In many parts of India, anti-Christian sentiment is getting worse and worse among those influenced by the Hindu, uh, Hinduvta ideology. Sorry if I've said that wrong. That says all Indians must be Hindus. And this leads to violent mobs attacking Christians as well as their churches, homes and businesses. How long, O oh Lord? Um, I, I was reminded again um, uh, of some lyrics. Um, some of you know that I like the band U2. Some of you may never have heard of them, but, but they, they're crying out in, in their songs all the time. I can't believe the news today. Can't close my eyes and make it go away. How long? How long must we sing this song? But there's another chapter that we're looking at. We've seen the reality of the horrors on earth. We've joined the martyrs crying out. But in chapter 7, the reality of the church in heaven. And they are singing out. And there's a deliberate pause. You notice that? We haven't got to that that seventh seal, yeah. It's as if John is sort of ramping things up, going, okay, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? And then John says, let's stop. We're not going to get to the end yet. He, he refrains from that climax of final judgment and the return of Christ. Just at the edge there. And why does John do that? He pauses to think about the church. Now, do you remember we've said that Revelation is a book about encouraging the church? So it's a really good time to pause, isn't it? Because all this is pretty frightening stuff or worrying stuff. And John says, look, let's pause and let's refocus now. We've looked at heaven's view of what's going on on earth. Now we're going to look at heaven's view of what actually is going to be true in heaven. And the placement is important. We're waiting for Jesus to end the world. These original readers were, and we're in the same position, aren't we? We're just literally waiting for Jesus to end the world and announce his judgment. But the church needs to be assured of its place before all of that happens. So here's John in chapter 7. He sees another angel coming up from the east in verse 2. And he's called out in a loud voice to the four angels who have been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of God. And then I saw that number, 144,000. So that's the uh, 12,000 times 12, isn't it? And we've looked at numbers a little bit in in Revelation, and 12 being that that idea of God's people, the 12 tribes, the 12 apostles, and the 12,000, the fullness of God's people. So as John looks up, he sees all of the redeemed, all of those 
redeemed as we are in the midst of judgment. Not one is lost. That's the, that's the purpose of the, of, the num- of the numbers. Sometimes we do get to those points, don't we? Go, we're reading the numbers again, reading the numbers again. Well, it, they're there for a reason. Because John wants to go, yeah, 12,000, yeah, 12,000, yeah, 12,000, 12,000, 12,000, 12,000. All of God's people will be saved and not one lost. Do you remember um, verse 11, just at the last chapter? When Jesus coming back, not until the full number of their fellow servants, just as their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. Why isn't Jesus coming back yet? More people are going to become Christian and be witness to Christ and die for Christ. I was talking with someone the other day. What an incredible thought that it's going to be. They'll be the last person ever to become a Christian. We don't know who that is. God does. But there will be just one last person. And they'll be the last person to become a believer in the Lord Jesus. And what will happen? Jesus is not going to wait any longer, is he? Surely. They're in. Now we're on. Seventh seal, seventh trumpet. So all of God's people will be saved. That's, that, that's what John wants to say. Look, there's all of this going on that we've looked around. We thought about horsemen and martyrs and the stars falling from the sky. But do you know what? Not a single person is going to be lost. Not a single person who's truly saved is going to fall away. Um, not a single person who, who could be, might be a Christian, who should be a Christian, is going to sort of accidentally not hear the gospel and, and miss out. It's all going to work out. So all of us in quantity, but also all of us in quality, as it were, as well. Verse 9, afterwards I looked, and there before me was a great multitude. No one could count from every nation, tribe, people, language. So we've got the whole number of quantity, but we've got all of the, the, the qualities, as it were, of humankind. People saved from every tribe, tongue and nation. Not everyone saved, but everyone represented Everyone saved um, will include people from every tongue, tribe and nation. And there they are with palm branches. Why? Well, ready to hail the king. Ready to sing the song in verse 10. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Salvation belongs to our God. That means it's from him and it's he who chooses that belongs to God's salvation. It means it's from him alone and it means he decides and he chooses those elect, that that full number. It's of grace, not of human will. Uh, And so John, understandably, he's still a bit confused, isn't he? Um, Verse 13, one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? Uh, He's been asked that question. Uh, one of the elders asked him that. And John answers this, Sir, you know. He's almost afraid to give the answer. And this, this answer, is, I think it's one of my favourite verses in Revelation. So who are all these people, John is asked. John says, well, will you tell me? And he's told, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. I love 
that phrase, the, the great tribulation, right? All of these things that we've thought about, all of the things that our brothers and sisters are going through right now that we've just read about, all of our troubles in our own personal life, all of our worries that might happen in the future about our children and our grandchildren, all of these things which happen here, John is suddenly whisked up to heaven and this history here from the start to the end, it's almost as if we can just look at it like this. It's the great tribulation. That's what that was. It's finite and it's over. Imagine that. Imagine being able to see all of history just contained. The great tribulation. That was a thing. But now it's not. And here um, are those who have been saved from it. Washed their robes. And how grateful should we be? There's the reminder that those that are there, you and I, trusting in the Lord Jesus, um, it, shouldn't be, it should have been us um, uh, judged, shouldn't it? But we're only there because our, our robes have been washed. We'll, we'll read later in, in Revelation about those sealed and those not sealed, as it were, kind of given that mark, you belong to God or you don't. And it's because we've had our robes, our sins washed in the blood of the Lamb. It's not because we were born at the right time. It's not because we were born in the right place or because we were clever enough to understand the gospel. Because just as the cross grants Jesus' rule, so it grants us this redemption in the midst of all this judgment that we're, that we're seeing, we, we talked about in these last days. And the verdict is given now, isn't it? So, so what has redeemed us and made us clean? It's the blood of the Lamb. Well, that happened at the cross. So we washed our robes with the blood which was, happened 2,000 years ago. The verdict is now, where is the church? It's in the midst of the throne, isn't it? We're told, before the throne. That's where the church is. Redemption in the midst of judgment. So as Paul says in, in Colossians, our lives are hidden with Christ. Maybe this evening we, we could fall either at one end of a spectrum or perhaps somewhere in the middle and, and we might be down one end where we, we are seeing a lot of terribleness and awfulness in the world. And for some of us it makes us really anxious and really worried and we wonder if, if, if God knows about it, cares about it. Well, this passage says, yes, God says, yes, I know about it and some. You don't know the half of it, but I'm in control of it and it's limited and it will end or then maybe at the other end of the spectrum. Well, isn't that just life? There's always people doing horrible things to each other. And we've just got to get on. And, and maybe some of our friends might, might be hopeful that, that education or, or loving one another better might put an end to it all. Well, we, w- we want to save every life that we can. We want to relieve suffering. But, but these things won't go away. The horses won't go away until Jesus comes on his but in the meantime, we are to, to cast our eyes on, on what about the church? That's why John pauses there just before the seventh seal. What about the church? Well, that is safe with the Lord Jesus, redeemed in the midst of judgment. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the lamb that was slain who sits upon a throne. Thank you that you keep us safe. Thank you that no one can snatch us from your hand. We want to cry out 
with those who have died for you. We want to cry out, how long? How long, O Lord, to sing that song? But we want to sing out as well, knowing that we will be finally in the midst of your throne. We long for that day. Please keep us strong and encouraged until we are able to join that multitude. Amen.